0: everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host with me today has been uh, really a celebrity in my orbit for years. Uh, I'm having millennial 30-something hot flashes knowing that she's sitting in the room with me right now. Uh, She has written for shows, written and produced for shows, such as the currently, like, newly released Swarm, uh, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Groanish. you know, such hits as those. Once Upon a Time She Was a Writer for Jezebel. And also, if you're deep in it, you might have followed her fancy pasta bitch exploits. On the internet, going deep, <laughs> going deep. Cara Brown, uh, welcome here. And is there anything else that people should know about you before we get going?
1: No, that nothing else.
0: Didn't Fancy Pasta <laughs> bitch get a
1: Vogue write-up? I did. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. About, yeah. You know, I,
0: just I remember those photos being very beautiful. It's like, yeah. Look well, these pasta, influencer. they sent
1: like a real photographer Clearly. to come and do it. Um, it's funny because I kind of like. Obviously, I remember my life. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of like forget people were like reading things. <laughs> yeah. And um uh, You were Judge Kara Brown. Yeah, well um uh as we were talking about before we started that Mariama Diallo was on the show mm-hmm. and she was like, oh my gosh, I used to read Shade Court when I, I saw her recently wow. and we that was we had met for the first time, uh-huh. but she was like, oh no, I know you from that. And I was like, oh right, people were reading like I kind of forget. I knew at the time, yeah. but I think Time has passed. Mm-hmm. So when people reference Jezebel, I'm like, oh, right. Like, they read it and remembered. Yeah. um, is- well, I think it's
0: one of the things like like the toast as well. It was like one of those internet enclaves that, like, the community around it, like, it was the last time, I think it was the last era, too, where there was almost, is anything close we get to, like, internet monoculture? Yeah. In, the in like, the, the heyday of the blog years? Yes. Like, if you were of a personality of a certain window of age, you read
1: Jezebel, like, every goddamn day. I, I was having this conversation with someone about how... People used to just go to Jezebel.com. Go to Jezebel. Not following a link. No. You just every day, and and like, you know, a lot of other sites, Mm -hmm. but you would just go to the site and see what was there and kind of read everything that was there. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, personally, I don't really have anywhere that I just every day check in on and see what's there. I'm usually, you know, there's a link and I click on it and maybe I read a couple of things after that. But it is a specific um, the
0: idea of blogs basically being your homepage.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, this 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 I feel like leads well into the the main part of the conversation because you even like you you wrote sort of like an exit post at Jezebel when you were departing the blog and commentary world to go into TV writing, which is your your port of call now.
1: Yes, yes, I did. Uh, we did a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny too because. I tell this story in general meetings all the time, (laughs) and I haven't ever told. I
0: peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I think
1: think also no one's asked or cared. But um, I had, you know, I I'd moved to LA right when I started at Jezebel, and in sort of the back of my mind, I think I knew I eventually wanted to to be a screenwriter. But I had like a really hot start at Jezebel. Yeah, so I was already I was like in it, and the internet was fun at the time, so it was like fun to do that. Yeah, and it wasn't until the we lost the Hulk Hogan trial and I had this pilot that I had been fiddling with Uh and it was like pure sea biscuit panic Uh where I finished it in like a week (laughs) because I was like oh I'm not gonna have a job yeah I live in LA there's not a lot of media jobs out here I was like oh I'm you know I'm screwed yeah and um so and then we were like bought by Univision so like the immediate like Threat of losing my job was gone. Yeah, but it was a wake up call for me where I was like, "Oh, I don't want to do this anymore." Yeah. So I, um, so I had that pilot, and then a friend of mine took me to, um, CAA was having this comedy writers boot camp, and oh. it was like geared. He was a CAA client. It was geared towards like women and people of color. Mm-hmm. It was like panels and networking, and Issa Ray was one of the speakers, mm-hmm. and she had like tweeted at me before, so I was like, Oh, she'll probably know who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I now know that Issa has like a really amazing memory, oh, okay. and um, but I went up to her, and uh, she was like, Oh, I didn't know you wanted to do screenwriting. I was like, Yeah, like. I have this pilot that I literally I don't think I told her I'd literally just finished. right. yeah, but I was like, yeah, I have this pilot. and then like fast forward to like I'm having meetings with her and i'm I'm pitching it wow. and like I didn't sell that, obviously, but mm-hmm. um out of it, it's how I got my reps and how I got started. So like Issa very much is like my wow. fairy godmother. That's wonderful in terms of coming into Hollywood, but um, but yeah, it was a funny like, I got scared. And then wrote the <laughs> script and then, it, and then it ended up working out. Necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, truly. Yeah. Like it was like I finished that script so quickly uh-huh. when I was like, Jezebel's not going to exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so I guess thank you for that, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. You know, the only time I would ever <laughs> thank him.
0: Yeah. I'm liking how this fits into the directory we're going to talk about because the character you have brought to discuss is the very self-possessed. <laughs> um, the, I, when I was watching this, getting ready to talk to you, I was like, I don't know, Kara Brown, but this feels right. <laughs> and it is Catherine Hepburn's Tracy Lord in the Philadelphia story. I know. And with the... Yeah, I know. I know it feels... With the, with the um, reflexive sense of intimidation I feel around the idea of you as a figure, <laughs> in my my media life and sort of evolution, I was like, this is the person I think I'm afraid of. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel the gelling of, like, my projection of who this individual is with the fictional character that Catherine Hepburn is
1: giving me here. So how did Tracy Lord arrive in your life? So I actually, I don't remember exactly when I saw the movie, but my grandmother... um, is a big musical theater fan. And so I remember like My Fair Lady was one of her favorite musicals and we watched the movie and listened Mm -hmm. to it. And it was sort of my gateway into like Audrey Hepburn and Roman Mm -hmm. Holiday and all of these older films that at like 13 for some reason I was watching. Uh Um, And so I think the Philadelphia story like slipped in there. Mm -hmm. And... um, You know, the funny thing about her character is, in the movie, it is kind of a bunch of men trying to, like, knock her down a peg. Yeah, it's a bunch of guys (laughs) nagging her or just outright (laughs) ripping her apart for a whole movie. So I have to, like, you know, obviously reconcile that part of it. But, you know, Catherine Hepburn, who was just such a, like, force, and I think, like, the way she spoke and, like, the hair and all of it was just so upright and, like, confident.
2: Sometimes for your own sake, Red, I think you should have stuck to me longer. I thought it was for
1: life, but the nice judge gave me a full pardon.
2: Ah, that's the old redhead. No bitterness, no recrimination. Just a good swift left to the jaw.
1: And I've always been a pretty confident person. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, there's sort of like a joke where my dad talks about... How, like, when I was younger, he's, like, really wanted to make sure as, like, a young black woman in America that mm-hmm. I had a lot of self-esteem. And then his punchline is, but I think we went too far. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then things got away from and us. And things got away from, yeah. So, like, I don't think anyone, like, teachers or anyone who's known me for a long time would ever, like, would argue with the idea that I've been pretty self-possessed yeah. for, like, much of my life. So, clearly, that's a lot of what I was responding to with Tracy Lord, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think the movie is also just fun and yes. like um, you know I really it reminded me of um, movies like Sabrina, like yeah. another movie I really loved was just like these parties and um, <laughs> yeah. dresses. parties. I in, love in parties those mid-century films. Yeah, man, great party like fun-seeming <laughs> parties, yeah. and they like don't do anything in this movie right yeah. like they're it's them like getting ready for a party and then they go to a party and yeah. then the next day is the wedding and like that's <laughs> that's the movie there's no like tasks anyone really has to do <laughs> yeah, it's they're true. all just kind of talking to each other which is my kind of movie. Okay, and I was I was wondering about the uh, like. I remember
0: when I found All About Eve, mm-hmm. and I I decided one day I was going to like I'm going to watch Betty Davis movies, and I want to find the one where she says, "Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night." And I managed to pick All About Eve first. Yeah, and I remember watching it and being enraptured and being like this is what movies can be? And I wondered from, a, like, a screenwriter's perspective, like, watching a movie like this, and if you're, you know, steeping yourself in those classic films from a young age, like, what is, like, sort of the chasm between, like, is characters just talking to each other that much possible yeah. anymore in, in movies? Because, like, movies just about people fucking having yeah. conversations. All about Eve is just intellectually rigorous repartee. Right. And like Aaron
1: Sorkin gets to do that, but like, do you get to do that? I am trying desperately. Let me tell you. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, clearly, uh, bad person, but you know what are y'all in? Yeah. Like chatty. Yeah. Uh, love a chatty movie. (laughs) Like I've always responded to. Um movies like that and so I think absolutely with the Philadelphia story where yeah. it's like it's just them kind of talking about shit yeah. and um, I think too they did it because you know as a play first mm-hmm. they would just like shoot these scenes uh-huh. and that was it and so I think the performance too like I think something I do respond to is the level of performance that's required to do a movie where people are kind of just talking right? and right. there's not like some crazy turn in the plot is mm-hmm. like it requires really charming, compelling performances, and so obviously for me, Katherine Hepburn, I was just like, oh my god, I just want to listen to this woman talk, and then you have Cary Grant, and you have Jimmy Stewart, and it was just like a bunch of very charismatic people Mm -hmm. talking, and I'm like, yeah, that's all I need. (laughs) Like, that's that's really all I need. Snob. What do you mean, snob?
2: You're the worst kind there is, an intellectual snob you made up your mind awfully young, it seems to me. Well, 30's about time to make up your mind. And I'm nothing of the sort, not Mr. Connor. The time to make up your mind about people is never. (laughs) Yes, you are. And a complete one. You're quite a girl, aren't you? You think? Yeah, I know. Thank you, Professor. I don't think I'm exceptional. You are, then. I know any number like me. You ought to get around more. It's so overwhelming
0: when you when you even – you've seen it before, but then you get reminded of when someone's a movie star. Yes. And I, I was thinking that when I – I only recently finally watched Wakanda Forever, and I thought about how, like, in that UN scene when Queen Ramonda walks into the room, I was like, I have to believe that it was – Nobody was – people were barely acting when Angela Bassett walked into that goddamn room. I have to think everybody's back just straightened. Right. Because, like, there's plenty of greatness, like, great people in that movie. But, like, you feel something different with her. And when Katherine Hepburn enters this movie, I'm just like – Oh my God, like I just feel gravity
1: bending around yes. her
0: and her, the, obviously the voice and the mid Atlantic accent and yes. the angles and the yes. cheekbones. But the just,
1: cheekbone, I mean,
0: uh, like are every crazy. time she turned, yes. watching like the cavernous shadows yeah. <laughs> cut down her face, it was like, oh my God, how are you real? Yeah. And it just, I, it was so, I was just moved every time I got to see her again because I'm like, oh God, thank God Catherine Hepburn's back on the screen.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, her character too, so sort of like the whole deal with her. Mm-hmm. What you're watching her deal with in the movie is that she is this very confident, Mm -hmm. self-possessed, says-what-she's-thinking woman. And this movie was made in, like, 1940. Yeah. So already that's kind of, like, different, I think, for the ladies. Uh And um, seeing everyone's response to her, it's a lot of, like, oh, she's this got-it. Like, she's this—that's kind of a running thing in the movie where they're like, oh, you were this sort of untouchable, kind of perfect person. Yeah. And— I'm like, yeah, I get thinking that with Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Like, not everyone. I think there's other actors where, yeah, you can be, you can be confident and like kind of sassy or whatever, mm-hmm. and it would have, you know, they could have done it. But something about Catherine Hepburn feels like, oh yeah, this is like, she's like a statue. Like yeah. this, I understand this in a way that um, it might not have landed in the same way with someone else. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like you said, with with having a, a very strong sense of self and confidence mm-hmm. from an early age. Have you felt in in your personal arc? Have you felt those pushes against you to be like, well, Kara, you're, you're impenetrable, or like you have to be like, are those slings and arrows that you have weathered for being feeling
1: that sense of self possession and confidence? Yeah, I mean, me saying things that I think mm-hmm. uh, has been a problem for me, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, since I, Same. you know, like since I was young uh-huh. and. I often, like, I remember being young, and I would say something, you know, to an adult, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm not wrong. So even when I would get in trouble for it, it didn't necessarily, I was like, yeah, everyone's mad at me, but, like... You were taking a lesson from it. No, I was like, I still believe I'm correct. (laughs) Um, Which, like, to be fair, I was not always. (laughs) um, You know, I I think another interesting thing in the movie is, in the most generous reading, um, Cary Grant's character... He seems to appreciate mm-hmm. that about her, yeah. and in the most generous reading, there's sort of personal issues within their relationship. Mm-hmm. He That's
0: punches her in the face in the, in the beginning of the movie, yes, yeah. And they people love to make
1: a joke about that the entire. Yes, yeah. The they're little like, sister's oh,
0: like, I want to see her hit it, yeah. see it. hit her
1: again. And like everyone finds her kind of annoying, which I also kind of <laughs> love because I'm like, yeah, like she is a little bit of anno- a little annoying. Um, but I think. In the most generous reading, mm-hmm. as a like with the relationship with her father, yeah, I would not include that because yeah. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But it is about someone who knows you, helping you sort of see some kind of not shortcoming necessarily, mm-hmm. but something about like not necessarily realizing how you're coming off to other people, right? And how that might impact them. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I, d- I do remember responding to that, especially this idea of like having such high standards for yourself and then applying them to other people, which is a problem I know I have. Okay, yeah. and I was going to
0: ask if that was a detail that resonated with you as well. That is probably the
1: line. Like, I remember that exchange so vividly because it's nice to me because I'm like, oh, she's not wrong to have these standards for herself. Yeah. But it does make you a little less tolerant of things that maybe you should be more tolerant of Mm -hmm. so in a world where you also just like boil the story down to like these two people trying to like figure out their shit and get back together there's something in that that if you were making this movie in 2023 and 1940 Mm -hmm. i think i you could get at in a way that like would speak a little bit more closely to me but You know, at the time, I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, (laughs) I get it. I I get where we are. I know what's happened.
2: Red, you could be the finest woman on this earth. I'm contemptuous of something inside of you. You either can't help or make no attempt to. Your so-called strength, your prejudice against weakness, your blank intolerance. Is that all? That's the gist of it. Because you'll never be a first-class human being or a first-class woman until you've learned to have some regard for human frailty. It's a pity your own foot can't slip a little sometime. But your sense of inner divinity wouldn't allow that. This goddess must and shall remain intact.
0: The, the way that little offhanded things in this movie that just get said elucidate more fully the character of Tracy where like the little sister walks into the room point and she's like my name's Diana but my sister changed it to Dinah so yes. I'm Dinah now like <laughs> she just like Tracy just decided yes. no you're Dinah I am Dinah Lord my real name is Diana but my sister changed it I'm
1: Elizabeth
0: Embry this is Macaulay Connors oh, oh. Yeah. and so now she's Dinah to everyone Yeah, and there's that exchange between the mom and the little sister where the mom is like very tenderly being like you know Tracy just has very high expectations that <laughs> no one can meet like there she's she doesn't mean harm she just like expects the best and that's such a like satisfying thing about watching this performance is because Tracy is sort of on a you know plane above everybody, and she does expect the best. But the thing is, Tracy is the best. She is. Tracy is asking other people to meet her where she is. Yeah, and she's not suffering the fools who can't get there. It's not that she's demanding something in the absence of it with herself. Tracy fucking has it like yeah. that. So like it's in, that's kind of the like was the fascinating like time capsule exercise for me of watching it now was being like. I mean, but she is that good.
1: Well, also, if we're... So fuck be- off, guys. Right. And if we're, you know, following that, it, you learn in the movie that her marriage broke up in mm-hmm. part because um, her ex-husband was an alcoholic. Hello. Fancy seeing you here. Orange juice? Certainly. Don't tell me you've forsaken your beloved whiskey and whiskeys. No, 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 no.
2: i just changed their color, that's all. I'm going for the pale pastel shades now. They're more becoming to me.
1: And she was not down for that. (laughs) And knowing that obviously we're talking about addiction in the context of the 1940s. So, you know, not not ideal, but he stopped drinking Mm -hmm. and that's part of why they get back together, like, she did not like his drinking, she, and, you know, and he describes it as, like, you don't have a lot of capacity for, like, people's, other people's frailty, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I don't know, man, it seems like that helped you, you became a quote-unquote better person (laughs) as a result of her having this expectation of you, and Maybe that's not how it's being articulated mm-hmm. in the movie, but mm-hmm. for me that's certainly I was like, Oh, so she was right.
0: Yeah. That's what like they're in like you said, like accepting her dad from the conversation because the there's that part where she's like says something about like, you know, I'm sorry I've like disappointed you and he's like, Oh, I didn't say that and I would never say that. It's like, <laughs> no, you would just say every single right. thing in between <laughs> right. to annihilate her sense of self. You never said you were disappointed. Yeah. So dad dad can get go to hell. Like we can yeah. we can remove him from the board. But it is It's so, like, it's—I was wondering if, like, like, when—like, there's an element, too, of of with her where do you feel like as somebody who brings that level of, like, assurance, self-assurance to the table— Do you end up in that position? Because I feel like this happens with women when they are kind of just a cut above the rest. They end up being a great projecting board for everybody's fantasy of them because they can live up to kind of any fantasy because they are that good and that big. But then if they don't adhere specifically to the details of those projections, well, then suddenly they're letting somebody down. Like when Kittredge, her George, the the guy she's going to marry, he's like, you didn't live up to my standards of womanhood last night when you were getting drunk with James Stewart.
2: (laughs) You see, it it really wasn't Tracy at all, Mr. Kittredge. It was another girl, a Miss Pomery 1926. You'd had too much to drink, Tracy. That seems to be the consensus of opinion. Will you promise me never to touch the stuff again?
1: No, George. I don't believe I will.
2: There are certain things about that other girl, that Miss Pomery 26, i rather like. But a man expects his wife to... To behave herself naturally. To behave herself naturally?
0: And I wondered if like, do you find yourself in the position of having to field those projections because you like are so confident in a space that it's like, well, and now you guys are just inventing things about me making a mythos of like, as I have done, made a fucking mythos of Kara Brown and I'm intimidated by an idea of a person who I have not met in a space
1: until this very day. Yeah, I definitely think the intimidation thing is very real, Yeah, which like, again, people have been saying that to me for most of my life um apologies for playing directly no, into no, that but I, you've I, been dealing with this whole time i have actually recently come to get it mm, mm, like i think before i was like really? what are you talking about like i'm like i'm chill yeah. whatever <laughs> and you know i think realizing um that i am much more like blunt about things sure and realizing how infrequently most of the people I'm interacting with on a daily basis are just saying the thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and realizing like, oh, that's, doesn't happen as often as it seems to in my mind. Yeah, and people don't necessarily respond to it in the mm. way that I mean it, which is just like let's not like waste time. Let me just say the thing. Yeah, it's taken as a bit more intense or hostile or whatever. Yeah, and um, like that you're putting a judgment behind it. You're not just like yeah. making a point. Yeah, or like I'm not couching it in something because yeah. it's just like I don't know, man. Like, le- like it's fine. You, <laughs> you you'll be fine. But I think it's also because because of the things you're talking about. I. I think maybe less the projection and more mm. I, I get a lot of criticism because I think people think I can handle it. Oh, and so that's interesting. I okay. think, like, I'm pretty self-critical. Yeah. Which I think in order to be, like, a semi-successful person, yeah. you do have to, like, interrogate what you're doing and, yeah. like, figure out how to be better or if this is good. Or, But I think because I come very, like, direct and clear people feel more comfortable like being a little bit more critical yeah and then they might with someone else Mm because it's like oh well Kara can take it yeah yeah and it's like I can Hmm. but I don't always want to take it yeah
0: especially if like if you find yourself like you are in television so you're writing amidst rooms like especially if that's like if you can notice it disproportionately in comparison to like peers around you in a shared context it's like man, I'm kind of getting a lot of shit yes. here. And, then and, you know, you have a one-on-one after. It's like, oh, Kara, no, I just, I know you can handle it. And so, like, it's my respect for you. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but when I see it, when it's happening, I just feel how, like, I'm getting a lot more heat than, like, other people around
1: me. I will not say who, but I've literally had that exact conversation <laughs> with okay. a showrunner where it was this, it was... My expectations for you are different yes. than others. I think you can handle it. I think you can be this thing. Uh-huh. Like, I think you are capable of this thing. Uh-huh. And it's like, again, I don't think that's untrue, but that doesn't mean that at all times yes. that's how you want people to treat you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, I've, I've had... Literally that conversation where it's just like, well, I think you are different in this way. I think you're, like, special in this way. So, like, this is why you're getting this from me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think part of the problem is, like, I can... Manage it. Yeah, yeah. So then you do, and then it's kind of like, oh, there's no need to like, and change then there's the behavior. Precedent. And yes. then we set
0: an expectation. Yes. Well, that, that, I mean, that is, that's very much what this character deals with the points as well, where she has like that sort of emotional moment where she, you know, George is talking about how like you deserve to be worshipped and you deserve to be an idol and build statues to you. And she's like, I don't want to be worshipped, yeah. though. I want to be loved.
2: Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about you, Tracy. What? How? Huh. Well, you're like some marvelous distant. Well, queen, I guess. You're so cool and fine and, and always so much your own. There's a kind of beautiful purity about you, Tracy, like like a statue. George. Oh, it's grand, Tracy. It's what everybody feels about you. It's what I first worshipped you for from afar. George, listen. First, now, and always. Only from a little nearer now. Hey, darling?
1: I, I don't want to be worshipped. I
0: to be loved. It's more satisfying for the person to e- express affection or care for Tracy in accordance with how they see her than it is of actually finding out mm-hmm. how she wants to be treated. Yeah. Because it also makes him feel big and better, I'm sure, to be with this, like, untouchable goddess on his arm who he gets to wear as, like, an ornament. Yeah. There's, like, a status symbol to knowing people like that.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, her whole—the whole thing, right, is she's this, like, Philadelphia socialite, mm-hmm. and he's kind of this, like— Quote unquote new money up yeah. and comer. And she's clearly like a step up for him. Very, um, very succession with Tom <laughs> and Shiv. Yeah. You know, yeah. with another redhead. Yeah. I'm literally just now making that connection. That's not like I, I'm, <laughs> it's on my mind right now. Um, but yeah, it's, she's this kind of like step up. Mm-hmm. And like that is probably not a great way to enter any relationship and yeah. probably doesn't mean that you are evaluating someone purely off of. Uh, their personality, <laughs> yeah,
0: and and your in your affection yes. for them. Yes, we are going to take a short break, but when we come back, there will be more from Kara about seeing herself in Catherine Hepburn. Then I'll have one quick thing about. Listen, I know it. Like, I want to make space for underdog cinema on the Feeling Scene Podcast as much as possible, but sometimes you got to talk about a blockbuster. So we're going to do one quick thing about not just Guardians of the Galaxy Three. We're going to do one quick thing about Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of the show. So stick around for some Karen Gillan blue meanie love at the end of the show.
2: The following pro wrestling contest is scheduled for one fall. Making their way to the ring from the Tights and Fights podcast are the baddest trio of audio, the hair to beware, Danielle Radford. It really is great hair. The Brit with a permit to hit. Lindsay Kel. The Queen is dead. Long live the Queen. And the fast talking, fist clocking, Hal Upland.
1: See, I can wrestle and be an announcer. Get ready for
2: tights and fights. Listen every Saturday or face the pain. Find us on Maximum Fun. Now ring the bell.
1: And here's what
2: some of the listeners have to say. It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile.
1: I just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish i discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org.
0: Welcome back to Feeling Seen. My guest is the formidable Kara Brown, who is a writer on the new series Swarm. before becoming a screenwriter, Kara was a senior writer at Jezebel. Let's get back to our conversation coming up as writers, uh, spending a uh, you know significant chunks of our adulthood as like media writers, culture commentary yeah. that kind of thing journalism, newsrooms. I always felt like I'm an extremely confident person. Like, I I remember the writer Nicole Cliff once saying on Twitter, like, I'm pretty sure I could fly if I got the timing right. (laughs) And I tend to kind of be the same way. But it was odd. Uh, It was always kind of an odd fit for me being in a cohort of people where there's a lot of cachet placed on, like, anxiety, imposter syndrome, neuroses, depression, like, having an alcohol problem, being an introvert.
2: (laughs) How about you, Mr. Connor? You drink, don't you? Alcohol, I mean. Oh, A little. A little, a little? And you a writer? I thought all writers drank to excess and beat their wives. You know, one time I think I secretly wanted to be a writer.
0: And I'm just, I'm just none of those things. Yeah. And so it was like, am I allowed to be here if I don't hate myself? <laughs> and I was wondering if what you as, an, as, as a very sort of solid in yourself person had experienced as a writer. And maybe it's different culture, like coming through mm-hmm. Jezebel. Because mm-hmm. that seems like a bunch of bad bitches. <laughs> Like, it was a it's a it was a good crew. It was a good crew. Like how has that been in your writer life to be somebody who's not like do I deserve to
1: be here? Yeah, I've never thought that about like anything. I've <laughs> ever just, like I've and again like it is I have I'm lucky to have been a very self-possessed child. Yeah. Um and you know, my parents and all of that like I just have always I've not really thought that to me the being able to do something is more a matter of my own interest and Mm -hmm. time commitment yeah, and like how much I want to work on something. It's not a matter of like it being impossible to me. Um, So, you know, I similarly, like I don't share that. And (laughs) I like would listen to people and like, you know, like I don't, I think, for example, like working in Hollywood is getting into this is difficult. Yeah. it's difficult. It, it is luck. It is timing. <laughs> so I absolutely do feel lucky. Mm-hmm. But once I've gotten into it, I'm not like, oh my god. I'm. So, I'm like, well, I've been able to maintain this because I've worked hard and I do the work and yeah. I'm I'm good at the thing that I do. Yeah. Not this like, oh my god. Like, thank God everyone keeps liking. You know, like I'm just so lucky. Uh, yeah, and we're so lucky. And yeah. I'm like. I mean I'm choosing to do this. I could choose to do something else. <laughs> yeah. Is how I've how I've always thought it uh-huh. and so it's again caused some problems for me every once in a while yeah. of I'm not going to show up here and like beg you for something yeah i'm not gonna be i will be appreciative on a level of like we are working this is a professional situation Mm -hmm. and like i'm glad you hired me but you hired me for a reason Mm -hmm. because i'm doing something that's useful to you yeah and this isn't a favor we're both this isn't a a value here like this is an exchange of goods and services this is not a favor and i think a lot of people writers it feels like just it's a favor at every turn and i'm like No, like we, this is a mutually beneficial situation (laughs) for both of us. So yeah, like I've, I just so deeply don't relate to that uh, kind of thinking, but you were right in that it is... Quite prevalent, in, in yeah, amongst writers. And
0: I and, and 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 like there, it's it's an interesting thing about like as as somebody who's quite online, it's an interesting thing watching like that specific version of what it is to be a writer and a creator, really perpetuated mm-hmm. in that I think particular space. That idea of like, oh, uh, plans are great, but like canceling on everyone you've ever met is better. It's like. Oh, oh, my what? God. That sh- I
1: hate that shit. I, I, oh, and it was. My God.
0: But you, you better believe when it was the lockdowns and people were like, oh, I miss. I was like, I'm going to remember every right? goddamn <laughs> one of you when you cancel on me when this is going to end. I'm going to remember how said how much you said you miss people. Right. Like, I am taking I am taking names. I am writing them down. No. And I I really? so the not being encumbered by that also comes with like the fact that there is kind of a broad expectation that you are the antith- like you are the. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. Right. And it kind of. I feel like both in journalism and perhaps I haven't been in a writer's room in Hollywood, but it feels like kind of both of those enterprises to a degree seem to sort of cultivate that in people because then you can sort of keep people hostage to their gratitude. I was
1: going to say, like, a lot of people don't respond well to um, sort of the self-assurance of like, yeah, I'm here for a reason. yeah And uh, a lot of men, you know, like not being thankful for (laughs) something, they – don't like that. Yeah. I have found them. There's sort of those stereotypes too of like people, certain writers in rooms where they, you know, they laugh at every joke that yeah. the showrunner says mm-hmm. and they're just kind of like up their ass because they're like just trying to tap dance and keep their job Yeah, and it's like, I can't do, if I wanted to, I no, couldn't I, do that. I, I'm incapable. Yeah, I can't do it and I'm like, I don't think I have to do that because I think the work that I'm doing uh-huh. is good and I I feel like that's all you should really be asking of me mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, not the uh, – certainly not the norm and not, like, the overwhelming kind of mm-hmm. approach. Making
0: the the transition from, like, media journalism over to Hollywood is interesting because it's, like – for me, it's a little bit of, like, I – like, that's such an abusive industry <laughs> and it's so, it's so exploitative that, like, when I, like, move over to, like, the world of film production, it was, like, you think – you think I'm not trained for this, right? <laughs> like you, you think I left that one to get my ass kicked over here? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely did not. Right. Like you, you, journalism's broke Hollywood. <laughs> you think you can? You think you can wear me down? Yeah. And so I find a sort of like confrontational chip on my shoulder, uh, like coming into it, being like, no, 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 I did not leave journalism
1: to break for you. Yeah. And also, like, <laughs> nah, man. If whether or not I want to do this, if tomorrow, like. Having done different things, yeah. it, re- it lets you know that, like, you could do them again. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's like, if I was like, I don't want to do Hollywood shit anymore. Yeah. If I was like, I think maybe I want to write a book. Uh-huh. I... Pretty sure I could do that because I've I've like done, you know, like I've done this other work before. So it's like knowing that you have other Mm -hmm. abilities, Mm -hmm. it makes me less. Like if I thought the only thing that I was good at Mm -hmm. was or like the main thing I was good at Mm -hmm. was being a screenwriter Mm -hmm. and that anything else I would be less good at it. Mm then I probably would feel a little bit more like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> but I'm like, I mean, you know, but like push comes to shove, or like you learn new shit or mm-hmm. I work harder and I can figure something out. I don't feel that like this is the only possible option or thing. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because I did something else before that yeah so i know at a minimum i can do that and even before that i had like a regular person job before <laughs> i was in jezebel you know i worked at a pr firm so i was like yeah. i could go do that if i need you know like i don't <laughs> i've done other things and um i think hollywood especially you just get so to me it's a red flag if someone's only ever worked in hollywood yeah you're like that's yeah. never <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that you know yeah yeah if you can help it uh-huh to me, that's not ideal. Like <laughs> yeah. you should have had like a real person job.
0: Yeah, because at it, some point, like because like there is a degree where it's like it isn't real work. It's not real person. job. Even it's when jobs are per- hard. It's not a real person No, job. and it's hard
1: work. It's hard work for many reasons. Absolutely, But it's not—this is not, like, a regular thing. No, it's not regular. And it's not relatable. It's not relatable. It's also, like, you know, it's something that, like, a lot of people want to do and not a lot of people get to do it. Uh-huh. You're in already this sort of, like, rare air thing. Like, yeah. it's weird and different. And the things that make people successful in this industry are not sort of the normal things <laughs> no. that make people successful no. In the real world. Uh And so I think it's good to have a little bit of like a grip on reality in that way. And if you've only if you're only evaluating yourself off the standard of being successful in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know if that's translating (laughs) um, if you have to go do literally anything else.
0: I love a totally unrelatable, awesome female character. Like just like unrelatably powerful. Like I yeah. was realizing, like because like the the conceit of the Mary Sue mm-hmm. gets a lot of gets a lot of blowback, and like of course in a in a, a media environment that lacks dimension, like yes, we should like be frustrated about these things that are are presented in terms of like the static nature of the Mary Sue. But I'm also like, yeah, but Mary Sues are real, and I know a lot of them, right. and they like just like are that good, and they are doing that much, and they are delivering. I wanted to hear your input as a writer on like unrelatable female characters who just, like, are that fucking much in any one... Because, like, I kind of want them, but we were sort of told we weren't supposed to. But where do you want your female characters to be who are powerful?
1: I don't give a shit if someone is... Relatability and entertaining are Uh, not the same thing. Sure, 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 sure. And, like, movies and TV are entertainment. Yeah. They're meant to be entertaining and interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't think relatability is always interesting uh-huh you know what i mean like i can relate to we can all relate to like tripping down the sidewalk that's not <laughs> yeah. that like that's not, like an interesting thing that happens <laughs> to people um do you feel like do, is relatability something that is enforced in
0: like writing like it, we, she has to be likable or like we should have an access point with her and i'm like
1: i don't need one yeah i mean i do think that like i think that maybe the access points aren't necessarily what we've like Always imagine them to be. Like, I think there's other ways in that makes someone relatable to me or they're just really fun to watch. And yeah. like maybe sometimes I want relatable. Maybe sometimes I just want like it's like the way that Mariah Carey is not relatable. <laughs> no. But like that just is entertaining. You know, what I'm like, pure I can- entertainment. cannot relate to a thing. A, any <laughs> single fact of her life I cannot relate to. But I'm like, I don't care. Like I want I want to I want to witness this. Yeah. You know, I think also if I was if I was like in therapy going a <laughs> layer deeper, I think being a black woman who mm-hmm. likes movies and TV, mm-hmm. you know, like like watching shit, mm-hmm. you're not getting a lot of relatability necessarily. Right, right. So, like, I don't think that, one, I have to so deeply relate to someone mm. in terms of, like, oh, their life is the same as mine. Because mm-hmm. I think relatability can be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's, like, I don't relate to Tracy Lord and, like, the facts of her life. Sure. But I think there's, like, an emotional undercurrent that I do feel like I understand. Mm-hmm. So I think one, you kind of learn to look for these other things that make you understand someone that Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily just like their demographic and Mm -hmm. where they are and what they're doing because I wasn't getting so many pictures of someone who was exactly Mm -hmm. my demographic and who looked like me and lived the life that I lead. Also, my life is not that interesting growing up. So it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I was like, I don't need to watch a movie about a 16-year-old who lives in Redmond, Washington, and goes (laughs) to high school. Like, that's not really, (laughs) it's not that interesting. Um, But yeah, I think it made, when you're, you know, maybe it's more enjoyable to watch something that you relate to. So you're just, like, looking for things that, like, you can connect on. And I don't think they have to be the most obvious Mm -hmm. things. And um, there's, like, a level that even with Mariah Carey, you're like, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're like if I were one of the most talented singers of all time. Of all time, I might also just do whatever the fuck you know. Like, and I'm like, to me, that's findings. I don't relate to her as I am right now. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm like in my imagination, like if I could sing better than like almost everyone ever, (laughs) yeah, I think I might. I might have a closet the size of people's apartments. <laughs> yeah. Like I can, I can arrive at how like this might feel relatable.
0: Well, like and it's like I, I see exactly how Tracy Lord became Tracy Lord because I'm like, yeah, if I was that much better <laughs> and hotter and smarter and more eloquent than everyone around me and classier and richer and everyone's telling you and everyone's telling you like everybody like we enter tracy lord's life when everyone has decided that everything they've reinforced (laughs) in her probably her whole life they're gonna take back right right. it's rather unfair now take tracy for example
2: there's never a blow that hasn't been softened for her never a blow that won't be softened matter of fact, it even changed her shape. She was a dumpy little thing at one time.
1: Only as it happens, I'm not interested in myself for the moment.
2: Not interested in yourself? You're fascinated, Red. You're far and away your favorite person in the world.
0: I understand that the premise of this podcast can be, like, treacly and, <laughs> like, sort of saccharine, especially with, like, a white cis woman being like, tell me about when you felt representation. Yeah. And I want to be very mindful of that, but what I always, I want to, like, have the opportunity to get into with people is the fact that like I think marginalized people are the great creative geniuses because they've had to spend their lives putting themselves where they aren't, projecting meaning and identification onto places where they they don't exist, having to empathize with people who do not live the lives that they have lived because it's the only examples they get. I think there's a sort of special earned creative merit badge that comes with having to, like, do that hard work of projection from the
1: time you're small. Well, I think the story of speaking only for Black Americans, of Black Americans in America is, Mm. like, a story of creativity. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you're slaves, and we're giving you, like, the slops, and you figure out how to make something delicious out Mm -hmm. of that food. Like, you don't have instruments, and you figure out rap. Like, it's everything... So much of black creativity is born out of a lack of something Mm -hmm. Um, or even, you know, someone like Dapper Dan, where it was like, oh, I'm going to use these things that exist and build something new. Uh uh Um, And in part because like you don't we don't have like, you know, a bunch of like shit at our disposal to then, you know, that's going maybe a layer deeper than than applies here. But I do think like you you having to just imagine like the capacity for imagination Mm -hmm. probably is like a little bit greater. Mm-hmm. It's the way that, like, you know, like, all those people were freaking out because they had, like, Black Elves and the Lord of the Rings show. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, is that such a leap? Like, you can't possibly imagine a Black Elf. And I'm like, oh, because I guess you've never been asked to imagine yeah. this. Like, you've just been able to watch anything you've wanted, any genre, any type of character, and they look like you and you understand and you relate to them. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that, necessarily, mm-hmm. you, your imagination is going to have to fill in some blanks or, you know, some things that aren't there of like, how do I relate to Audrey Hepburn and Roman Holiday? You know, like, what what about this character is resonating with me? And maybe it's conscious, maybe it's not. But I think that's what I see when I see, you know, white people freaking out about things like that. I'm like, (laughs) oh, you haven't been asked to consider what happens if Spider-Man is black. And now your brain is breaking. But like, a black person who likes Spider Man has probably imagined what it would be like if they were black, just yeah. because, like, you know, you have the time and why not?
0: Yeah. <laughs> My version of that is like, I was at a baby shower mm-hmm. and it was a very straight baby shower. And I just. As they all kind of I, are. Yeah. 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 yeah just kind of definitionally. And I had just seen the terrible movie Bombshell <laughs> and where Margot Robbie and Kate McKinnon's characters, like, become involved. And I was talking to this, like, circle of women about it, and I said, I was like, yeah, I was totally surprised when those, like, characters hooked up, and Margot Robbie's character was at least by, And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, she goes home with Kate McKinnon. Like, they're having drinks, they get flirty, they go home, Kate McKinnon's, like, in her underwear. Yeah. And they're like, I thought, like well, a sleepover, they were, they were just hanging out.
1: <laughs> I was like... What aren't you seeing in this? Like, how much don't you see? Oh, you know when you go home with your girlfriend and get (laughs) naked? Yeah. That normal series of events. Yeah,
0: and she's just in a bra under the covers, and you're walking around in your boxers on a lady in your T-shirt after you've just been, like, nose to nose at a bar getting (laughs) hammered together. How many layers of the world don't you see? Because you've never...
1: Had to consider the alternative to what you are, or you're also not clinging to any scrap yes! of something like you know the way that uh, what's his name? Slash is like half black.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's
1: like, oh, we fucking know that. You're like, <laughs> yeah. like black. It's like we know for sure. Yeah. his mom is black. Because mm-hmm. you're like when you see a flash of something mm-hmm. that is representative of you, you probably are gonna cling to it. Yeah, you're gonna like and they're usually scraps. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think certainly like in the last, you know, up until recently ish, um, you know, something like that. It's like, even if they meant for like the innuendo Mm -hmm. to be subtle, Mm -hmm. if you were like, oh, those girls like each other. Yeah. Like you're going to, even if it's not spelled out, (laughs) you're going to be like, oh, I'm clinging to that. And like now canonically they're lesbians in my mind. And that could be completely (laughs) wrong. But like, it's what you have to cling to. yeah. Um, And I think like, Black people do that a lot. Like, I think there's a lot of things where you're just like movies and things like that where you just remember yeah. like the one black character because <laughs> yeah. you're like, that's who we got. So I guess we're really gonna like yeah. we're really grabbing at that.
0: Are there elements of things that you like noticed in your, your great culture-consuming life? Like you've been involved in media so long and, 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 and cl- curious and interested person throughout your life. Are there things that you clung to that you remembered when you started creating fiction? Of your own where you were like, this is what I want to build out from that I clung to, that I got only in small pieces, but that I want to make grand.
1: I think like I really just, you know, my friend Katie, who's a writer, we were talking about a project project and she's like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, you can just build a better wheel. Mm -hmm. And um, and maybe like I would not say I'm trying to like, you know, it's something I'm making is going to be better than this. But like a Nora Ephron movie where I'm like, oh, I just, I don't need the experience of a black woman in this, you know, like in a story like this to be so drastically different. But I think there is some like texture there that would be very different just because it has to be. And so that's a lot of my approach with things where I'm like, I don't think all the time Mm -hmm. making, like I mostly write black women, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't think all the time making them black women fundamentally changes the story. Mm. I think, in fact, a lot of the time it doesn't, Mm. but there are moments there that are important that do change something. And I think those are kind of the things that, like, I would have loved to have recognized Mm. in a character that I was watching previously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think even for me... Oh, my God, it's going to sound like such a, like, fucking plug. But, like, (laughs) with with Swarm... No, um, I I think
0: Swarm (laughs) Swarm is such a... A distinct feeling show and like I can't imagine when you like came in writing for Groanish coming from Jezebel, it's like one day a show like that will definitely exist right. and I'm gonna be a part of making Dre. Right. Cause that's like just like it's it's very jarring to watch. It doesn't feel familiar to experience.
1: No, it's intense, but to me, and that's like you know, Janine, Neighbors, Donald Glover, who co-created the show, like Mm -hmm. they might have different interpretations here. But like, I don't think of Dre as a serial killer because she's a black woman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think she is a serial killer who in the story is a black woman. And then the texture of her story is informed by her being a black woman. Mm -hmm. So I think like the fact that she's a serial killer as the result of like this black female pop star who she adores, that to me is like the difference in her being A black woman. And Mm -hmm. I think, like, the specific journey she goes on, all of that is informed by her being a black woman. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, like, also, there aren't a lot of serial killers, like, on Earth. So I'm like, there's nothing (laughs) about, you know what I mean? And, like, if you're a serial killer, there's something wrong with, like, the chemistry of your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I don't think that that's, like, specific to her being a black woman. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, this. Person has been activated mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that, like, not a lot of people are, mm-hmm. thank God, mm-hmm. but like some of them are, and they become serial killers. And as you're telling the story, the story is richer in the ways that her being a black woman informs the story, but mm-hmm. it's not to me just what it is, capital A, about. Mm-hmm. And that's also just a taste, personal preference yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Um, yeah. And given, you know, I, I mostly do like comedy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really trying to like, you know, take some like create... like I'm just trying to make like fun, entertaining shit that yeah. I want to watch. I think if I was like, oh, I'm really trying to like affect the course of history through like <laughs> cinema, yeah. I might have a different I might be saying something different um about that approach. But at least so far with what I've written, that mm-hmm. has that's how I approach it.
0: Okay, I guess for my final, final thing that would be like in the end of your Philadelphia story with you as Tracy Lord, is it are you choosing Carrie Grant, Jimmy Stewart, or are you doing the "I choose me"? Like fuck your wedding, I'm I'm not doing any of this.
1: Here's the problem: because I'm kind of a bird, Mm -hmm. I do like a happy ending. Okay, you know I like it's like why I like rom coms, but I think it is dressing down Carrie Grant. (laughs) probably in front of people yeah. having like a fight and it's like calling each other out and it's like none of that shit. This is about to be different. Yeah. And him being like, okay, I got you. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, now we can get married.
0: Okay. Okay. That is yeah. perfect. That's a perfect conclusion. Cara, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me about, about this. I really appreciate it.
1: This was, I, uh, talking is fun. And talking is fun. <laughs>
0: Thank you again to Kara Brown. Um, As I've said on this, what a moment for me uh, to interview Kara. This is, I feel like I've really, I've really crossed a milestone in my career now. The entire first season of Swarm is streaming on Amazon Prime. You can find it there. We can put a link in the show notes to that Vogue fancy pasta bitch write-up too. The pasta's looking fancy, guys, and the photos are looking real fancy too. Uh, and now, one quick thing before I go. As promised, New Guardians of the Galaxy is out. Third movie in, in you know, the Marvel standalone trilogies. Third movie in that one from director James Gunn, obviously. Um, that's all well and good. Guardians of the Galaxy, have a fun time. I like these superhero movies. I like these Marvel movies. Keep them coming. I'm having a great time. Pay animators, pay animators, pay animators. Um, but I just want to say that the heart and soul... Maybe not only of the Guardians trilogy, but of the MCU itself, the heart and soul of Marvel, it is Nebula. What, I mean, the best character. I have a Nebula pin on my backpack that I wear, Karen Gillen is such a tremendous actress, and there's kind of few people who will post more delightful BTS content about the making of anything they're doing than Karen Gillen. Just a charmer top to bottom. Uh, a six-foot red-headed Scottish uh, powerhouse. How can you go wrong with any of the parts of that sentence? The Nebula, Gamora storyline, the storyline of sisters within the MCU in something... Properties that can feel sort of sprawling and, you know, increasingly impersonal. Maybe it's like, ah, it's just a big Marvel machine. I can't really connect to these things. Nebula has been not only a funny and ass-kicking character throughout her time in the MCU she's also an emotional anchor and the tender story the arc of her relationship with Gamora in these movies is my single favorite relationship thread in the entirety of that cinematic universe um more respect for Nebula uh, she's, she's, remember when Karen, you guys, remember when Karen Gillen shaved her head to play Nebula and revealed that at Comic-Con? That's what the people go to Comic-Con to see, or at least what they used to see, um, when, when Comic-Con was at its zenith with the Marvel machine powering it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really all I got. Like, I, you don't need me to tell you to see Guardians 3. No, but Guardians does not need champions on small podcasts being like, hey guys, get out to the movies and go check out, no. This is a me- this is a pro nebula message. This is a pro nebula PSA. I have been beating this drum for years now. And now I've got this show. I've got another platform on which to say nebula, supremacy. Um, And speaking of the charm of Karen Gillan, she did, in honor of the release of the movie, post a photo of herself. It's like a screen grab from a Zoom. She's like, you know, in honor of the movie coming out, like, here's the time that I forgot I had couples therapy on a day I was shooting as Nebula for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So there's a little Zoom screen grab of Karen Gillan doing a couples therapy session in full Nebula makeup, which, again... Just the most charming BTS content. Uh, still today laughing about her Gunpowder Milkshake updates that were cooler than Gunpowder Milkshake, but that's a conversation for another time. Go Nebula. Uh, we support you. We love you. The fandom is behind you. And that's it. That is our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod, or you can send us an email at Feeling Scene at Maximum If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun.
2: MaximumFun.org.
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.